Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh and hopefully less fan-biased eyes, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan who knows more context about the show. We are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 4, Invasive Procedure. Scott. Can you tell us about this episode? Yes, I'd love to. So we leave the expository world building of the first few episodes to do a character episode. Who is the character? Hold your horses. We'll get there. A plasma (laughs) disruption creates a need for a skeleton crew. Odo and Miles are checking the perimeter where they see Quark in the docking bay pining for his brother. He's like, I miss him so much. That's why I'm here. Little do they know that there is a beeping device behind him, and we get to the theme song. Plasma storms are rare, so the crew is observing it, and hopefully it's going to be relevant for science when a small vessel hails the station, and it needs emergency assistance. They let them on. There's a crew of a trill, two Klingons, and two or three Klingons, and another woman whose race I wasn't quite sure. And it turns out that they're they're there for business. They pull out their guns. They make people take off their comm badges. They put Odo in like a suitcase-y thingy. And and then they they go to the bridge, pull out the guns, take off the comm badges. They put Odo in a stasis chamber. Uh, it turns out that Quark did the deal, but he thought it had to do with some data chains. He thought he was selling some stuff for some latinum, but that is not the case. 
because we're finding out that the crew was hired by this trill named Varad. And this trill wants Dax. Now, he doesn't want Jadzia. He wants Dax. So let's, for a moment, talk about the trills. The trill, the trill world are made up of humanoids and these symbionts. And one in ten trill or so will at one point be bonded with a symbiont. And they when they are connected, they sort of form a new person. They're neither of them are quite the same. And many of them live long and long lives. Well, the symbiont does. Um and Virad wants the symbiont. He says that he is the rightful heir. But the thing is, if Dax is removed, Jadzia will die pretty shortly. But Virad has spent his whole life longing to be part of the joining when the trill is put in, when the symbiont is put inside the trill. We first meet trill in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, but they're really, we'll really learn more about them through the lens of Jadzia and Curzon and all the other Daxes. He spent his whole life to be part of the symbiotic dyad, and he was deemed insufficient. And again, as I said, most Trill will never complete, and only a handful will connect. But Varad is willing to kill Jadzia. He is willing to do this, and he will go through the wormhole and live a life there. To Varad, to not be joined is mediocre. He wants to force body autonomy. He says, I deserve more. Now we can talk about the word deserve. Deserve is a word that activates me, Sam. Um, I don't believe that anyone deserves anything. We earn things, we get things, but it gives me a ping of privilege, of, of birthright, of whiteness, of colonialism, of of what's going on in this country now with uh, America, with the power over women's bodies and bodily autonomy. But Jadzia, being the person that she is, knows that if she doesn't change, if she doesn't allow this procedure to happen, the whole crew is going to die. So she says, I will allow the operation and I will let Dr. Bashir who's really like being just a regular, gentle Dr. Bashir, he's not really Dr. Horny so far in this season, uh, to do the procedure as long as everyone else will be saved, and he's given the word. Bashir fixes Miles' wound because he got shot, and they go to the sick, sick bay. Jadzia Dax tells Ben, I know that you're going to do everything, and if you don't, you did your best. They're getting ready to do the procedure, but Varad wants to be awake. He wants to be part of it during the process and also correct anything if he thinks anything is being done incorrectly. Bashir is incredibly upset, and he gives he gives Jadzia Dax a sedative and shows he really has feelings for her and is very upset about this. He says, forgive me, because he knows that after this transplant, Jadzia will lose a lot of her memory of, of being Dax and will die. So Bashir takes Dax out of Jadzia and places it into Varad, who is now Varad Dax. 
He takes it in. He receives total consciousness. Have you ever seen Caddyshack? Not in a while, though. But, you know, uh, one of the scenes is the Dalai Lama said that when I reach my deathbed, I'll receive total consciousness. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. (laughs) So he takes in total consciousness. Virad's, we find that Virad's accomplice um, is a sex worker. They don't say it outright, but she's a sex worker. And she turned into a partner and a lover who owes him her life for saving her from that life. Again, bodies, power, bodily autonomy. Um, so now Varad Dax shows up and he's like, I know everything. I Oh, hello, Ben. Hello, old friend. I'm so smart. I'm all the Daxes. We will now be friends for three generations. And Ben is like, if you would allow Jadzia to die, it's two generations, bucko. So, and then we see Jadzia, she's sick, she's alive, but she's broken. She feels empty. She feels alone. She feels different. But the new Dax is very happy. And Ben appeals to Varad's partner to check in on him and see if there's something they can do. Quark does like a cool move where he tries an attack and he gets hurt and he fakes getting hurt to get to the infirmary. So Bashir can knock out one of the dudes and they get some weapons. And Bashir takes out one of the cronies. They unlock Odo. They trick Farad and they transplant Dax back into Jadzia. And now Varad is lonely. Varad is a broken man. Jadzia is back and remembers it all including Varad, including the sadness, including the hopelessness. A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, Break free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now. Bonus articles. Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content. Liberation Martial Arts Online. As well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. So... The first thing I thought about when I was watching this is when Quark says, just because he uses his brother doesn't mean he doesn't love him. And that's real. Love doesn't mean they can't abuse or harm. And that's really tough to come to terms with. And then that pays off because we see that played out through Muriel and her relationship with Varad. Now, to me, the premise of this episode is gatekeeping. The villain of the week has a point, but the villain looks at a liberal problem and comes up with a liberal solution. Rather than addressing the systemic issue, he only tries to solve it on an individual level, which isn't a solution at all. Well, yeah, just like, yeah, because there is an issue with the Trill culture and the way that they decide who gets symbionts and, and all of that. And yeah, gatekeeping and privilege. But the way, yeah, the way he goes about it is, uh, it upsets me. (laughs) 
And I think there's an allegory here about identity, but also one about family. As far as identity, the emptiness of not living your truth. For family, how losing a family member creates an emptiness, like a piece of yourself died. And I think this episode played that philosophical question in a layered way where it's about your identity, but it's also about your connectedness to other people as well. So it's not just about Jadzia not living her truth, but also if she loses Dax, then that's also like somebody who's like a family member. It's like when you lose a family member, sometimes it feels like you've lost one of your limbs. And that really made me think about the whole premise of this episode. So I think it's playing along multiple lines. So it's playing with a lot of ideas. And anytime there's an episode about Jazia Dax, so far, that's what I've noticed, is playing with a lot of philosophical ideas. And I think initially in season one, they played with the idea of identity and continuity a lot. And I think this episode played with some of those ideas and then added in things about loss and losing not only a sense of yourself, but what happens when you lose somebody very precious to you. That feels like like a part of you. Right. And this connection you with freedom and autonomy, because inside the symbiont, in this in this connection, you're two becoming one. And to get lost in yourself, you know, like think of like like Victor Frankl or or like the idea that one can only get so close to another being, but not so much here, because in this culture you can be one being out of two beings living and expressing many lives and concepts. And yeah, it's really hard not to think about bodily autonomy, especially even how they try to not make a big deal out of, you know, the fact that one of the members of, of this crew is, is a sex worker turned lover turned fighter. There's a lot of bodily autonomy in this, in this episode. And in the show, period. Yeah, it is interesting. The writers wrote in two different versions of what women can do with their bodies. But then it was also talking about sometimes what women are doing with their bodies they don't even want to do, right? With the sex worker, she said she was saved from that. So you find that there was some kind of duress or coercion or some kind of, she didn't have full consent over her body, right? And then we see that again with Jazia Dax. It's like she consented to Dax becoming a part of her. She's not consenting to having Dax removed, yet they're forcing, right? The villains are forcing her to do that. So not just an invasive procedure, it's a forced procedure, which right now it makes me think about forced births, right? Like women not choosing to have a birth and a greater power comes along and says, no, you have to do that, forcing you to do that. Forced birth, forced death. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard not to think about a lot of these concepts, even though this is 25 years ago, to think about what's going on in people's rights over your body. And because it is another sentient being, it also made me think about like the pain of somebody taking your child away, right? Like she was talking about that emptiness and giving Dax to another metaphorical parent, right? And so there's so many allegories of that as well from like 
the racist system we have here, where more often black and brown families are separated in that way. We have the same situation at the borders where families are separated and children are taken away from their parents. And then you also had that through colonialism, whether it's enslaved children or indigenous children were also separated from their families. So I'm not saying I'm reading that's what the writers were saying. I'm just saying that this, as a metaphor, tracks on to a lot of things that also happen in real life, just by being what it was, just by posing this thought experiment, this philosophical question. If we redirect that to history and the real world, there's so many of these situations that happen, right? And so this is like individual level, Jazia talking about her pain, that is speaking to something much greater that has a lot of historical significance. Absolutely. And yeah, don't, I don't, I don't know if they were searching for some greater meeting or just were trying to create a cool episode where we learn a little bit more about Dax and see what happens if they try to separate you from your symbiote. You know, it could just be a little bit of a body horror for a treat. <laughs> but I still was thinking about all these things and cultures that do make decisions about how people regulate their body. In season one, Angel and I talked about how a lot of these episodes with Jazia Dax as the main character and protagonist are kind of like Twilight Zone episodes where they give you this premise. And the whole point is for you to think about it and then draw your own reflections from it. And so I think that's still true, right? You have this episode about Dax and the writers are just kind of like, hey, here's a cool idea. Let's put a couple of like cool thought experiments in here. And then people can then think about that in a myriad of ways. And without saying a lot, Dax episodes are among some of the more interesting ones. It's fair without giving spoilers to assume that there will be episodes about many of our characters where we learn more about them. And the Dax ones, for many of the reasons, as you said, can be really rewarding and powerful. And yeah, the first in the first season, it's like a murder mystery, right? Is Jadzia guilty of something that Curzon did? And you're right, yeah, it becomes a Twilight Zone thing. It, it becomes, I don't know, you, you always know that you could go to Dax to get an interesting, thought-provoking episode. And also, probably, they, they ran out a little bit of money from the first three episodes, so they made an episode that, was, that had less going on. <laughs> Much more intimate. Yeah. Now, Scott, what did you think about the ending of this episode or the overall execution of the episode? Because I know in our last episode, you were highly critical of how the episode went and how even the ending went. And with this one, it just kind of ended, and then I'm sure we're going to reset. Like a lot of sad moments, this episode went out with a whimper. It went out with hopelessness. It went out with sadness. But it made sense because that's what the character was going for. This episode is my favorite thus far of the season, re-watching from, from Jump. I loved that it was just a Monster of the Week episode where the monster was loneliness. I liked the skeleton crew. I liked just character development. I thought the acting was fantastic. I liked to see Quark being complex. 
I like episodes where we don't get a lot of Odo. Yeah, I just think it was a great episode. A good episode. Uh, four out of five. One pattern I'm starting to see, and I don't really love it. It feels like a bit of lazy writing to me, is where Pork does something in the episode that should get him in a lot of trouble or maybe even kicked off of DS9. And then at the end, it just ends before it's addressed. And then we reset at the beginning and it's back to Quark at the bar and whatever. And so why I say it's a bit of lazy writing is because that is a pickle. So it takes some ingenuity to get out of that pickle and explain it in a way where Quark should still be on DS9. But maybe it's a running joke. Maybe they know it's cheap and they think of it as just kind of like a kitschiness to DS9. But yeah, that's one thing that I don't really love. Yeah, and this one was like really bad. This one was really bad. <laughs> this one was like, oh, your your friend almost got murked. Yeah. I mean, like Cisco was so upset this whole episode, and then next episode we're supposed to just believe he gets over it, right? Which he will. It's just kind of like cartoonish in that way how like in old Tom and Jerry cartoons, Tom dies, but then the next episode he's back. And that's the foil, you know? <laughs> yeah, just I mean, yeah, like accountability and quirk don't go hand in hand and the next episode is is definitely you'll see where it goes okay did you have any other thoughts about this episode no i i spoke most about it about like you know body autonomy and the the issue of calling some of things of deserving things like this white presenting man is like i deserve this I deserve to to kill a woman over my need. Kill one woman and use another one. It's fucked. <laughs> now you mentioned the next episode. So can you tell us a bit about the next episode? So the next episode is called Cardassians. And it is about Cardassians. To just give you like a one sentence, um, Bashir and Garrick will investigate uh, abandoned Cardassian war war orphans. As we're digging into the past and having episodes about characters, Cardassians are one group of this whole like complex story of DS9 that we don't know too much about yet. We know of them because they're parts of a lot of episodes, but we haven't had an episode dedicated to them to learn more about them. So that'll be interesting. And you're going to. All right. Until then. Ta-da-da-da. 